You know, the choir sang all Andre's favorite songs. We were just told, and Andre, I think, well, I might have been aware of that because he called me early in the week and said, I'd really like for you to preach from my favorite verse. <laughs> and I said, Andre, what is it? And he said, it's from the second letter of, of Simon to the, <laughs> to the Nacogdoches. Chapter 16, verse 4, and it goes like this. And the Lord turned and cried out to the Lord, Oh, Lord, we petition you. Can we join the choir and the orchestra? <laughs> so there you have it. I was looking for that letter all week long. I would have preached from it, Andre. Now, if you notice um, the songs that were chosen, uh, all spoke to the grand uh, glory and majesty of our Lord. And I want to talk to you uh, this morning from uh, the book of Daniel, chapter 9, on that and how our vision of God will change the way uh, we pray. It begins like this. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to, I prayed to the Lord, my God, and I confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his command. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and princes and our fathers and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and people of Jerusalem and all of Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. And we go on from verse 17. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see desolation in the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. For your sake, O God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. Friends, we need praying people. We need praying churches. We need praying communities. And you may ask, why do we need praying communities like that? It's because community shapes you. 
It shapes the culture that is the way in which you live. Think about it for a moment. If you hang out with people that eat out a lot, it won't be long until you eat out a lot. If you hang out with people who, move, who watches movies a lot, it won't be long until you watch movies a lot. It's just how we, we are when we function in communities. If you hang out with people who pray a lot, it won't be long until you begin to pray a lot. There's an old proverb that says, tell me who you hang out with. It doesn't go with that. That's my modern translation of it. Who you surround yourself with. And I'll tell you who you are. The book of Proverbs puts it almost the same way. He who walks with the wise grow wise. But the companion of fools suffer harm. We need praying community. Friends, when we hear about prayer in Scripture, we often kind of connect it with these things that to some of us, it feels just like a little bit off from our own experience. We're here about Abraham, for example, that we spoke about a few months ago, and God spoke to Abraham and said, and it's like this conversation between the two. We say, well, we, we can't quite relate. It's not our daily experience like that. And now here with Daniel, he's reading Scripture. And he's finding here as he does that he is being called into prayer. If I may do my own amplified version of this, I would have said, I, Daniel, I sat and I was reading in the scriptures and my mind was captivated. It was arrested by God. This written word, it leaped out of the pages and I had this strong desire to pray. You know, it's different for us, isn't it, when we read that kind of stuff. We, we can relate to that in in a different way, but there's no real essential difference between Daniel's experience of prayer and Abraham's, say, or Moses or some of the others. It's the same God who speaks. He has the same desire for people to hear his word and follow his will. And actually, when we start thinking about it, not only do we relate better to this, when we see this, that Daniel, I, Daniel, was reading Scripture and out of this grew this tremendous prayer, it seems also that there's something stronger in some ways about this. You know, a vision or a voice will always be uh, quite subjective, at least, to some extent, right? We, 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 it carries this element of subjectivity, and subjectivity is always somewhat suspect. A vision or a voice will be turned into a memory and, and after a while that, that memory might fade or, or we have thought so much about it and we have reinterpreted it and turned it around in our minds and we have thought about what is the meaning of this and as the years go, suddenly it's hard to distinguish what we actually saw or heard from our own understanding or interpretation of it. How 
much stronger is it not, not to, to be able to just look in God's unchangeable word. We even sing songs about this, right, when we say, on Christ the solid rock I stand, everything else is sinking sand. We're not just left with subjectivity, and this is what I saw and, and heard. I'll speak to that a little bit also uh, tonight as we go through uh, the latter part of, of the story of some of that. I hope to see all of you plus all those that you invite tonight. Jesus himself actually coming back to this speaks about the necessity of being grounded in the written word. When he ends one of his parables and he speaks and, and he says that if they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to be convinced even if someone is raised from the dead. You can look it up in Luke 16, 31. And just like in the case of Daniel, God has given us his written word which by the power and illumination of God's Spirit is made alive, even alive to such a degree that the, that word, just like in Daniel's case, can leap from the pages, pages and wrap itself around our mind and refuse to leave. We may even say that it created in him a tension between the reality that he experienced and the promise that he saw God give. And friends, I believe that it is that tension. It is that tension that created this complete prayer of surrender that we just read here in chapter 9, verse 4 and on. Notice here how natural it would have been for Daniel just to kind of pray a superficial prayer and says, Lord, I saw this, and, and you said 70 years, and, and I guess that's what it is, and please kind of uh, do your thing, and then go on. You know, we read all kinds of stuff in Scripture, right? Something that we, we, we can't figure out what it really is or, or whether it's really being fulfilled, or, or, and so we just kind of skate over things. Why should we let the tension between what we read as God's promises and then the experience that we have in our own lives really shake ourselves and, and, and force us to our faces and on our knees. Yeah, why? That may be a good question. With Daniel, and this is where we connect with what I started saying about the grandeur and majesty of God. For Daniel... It was because the tension between his reality and God's promises were unbearable. Daniel was somewhat beside himself. He knew God, and he knew about God's faithfulness, that it was unassailable, unapproachable, uh, and that it was beyond re reproach. Amen. So what does he do? Well, he knew God, and he knew God will never, ever renege or go back on his promises. 
So what was it that his people were not living as if they trusted his promises? Can I say here as a parenthesis that how easy it is for us in the last three Sundays, I've been talking about characters from Scripture, and it's easy for us just to withdraw as act as if they're not real people. They're kind of Bible people, so they're different from us. They're not. They have regular folks, they have regular jobs, they have regular things they need to do during the week, and so on. You read in the Bible, and you hear Jesus command his followers to forgive one another. And then you think about Jill, or Joe, or Pete, or Sue, or whoever you're thinking about that you just can't forget. You tried, but it won't go away. You just can't stand even the thought of them. And there's a tension between what Jesus says so clearly. As the Lord forgave you, so also you shall forgive one another. And we are burned in a way by that tension. What is it that we learn from Daniel? We learn that when you experience that tension between the word of God and your own situation, it doesn't work just to run away and skate over it like it doesn't really matter. We learn that he said that will throw you into prayer in a new and strong way. Much as we know who God is and trust that that is who he is, Regardless of the price it may cost us, Daniel experienced that from his soul there sprang this desire to stand and be before God until things changed in his understanding and his heart. I want you to not lose track of this. He's comfortable. He's in Babylon. He's far away from the pain of Jerusalem. It's like not his daily situation, so to speak. But never even for a flicker of a second did it occur to him that he could transform his prayer life into some kind of religious ceremony where he just set the right things without being willing to pay the right price. Daniel might have been trained in Chaldean thought, but he never became one who lived in Chaldean or Babylonian ways. So the question is, as we began also, what really was so real for Daniel that he had to pray the kind of prayer we looked at right here? It was God himself. Daniel trusted God. He knew God and he knew that if he gave a promise, you could count on it. Can I try a contemporary example? Think of the most trustworthy person you know. You've known this person for a long time. He or she is 
extraordinarily conscientious. If there's something that happens in any agreement you have, you know, she or he will be the first to call and say, well, I can't work this out. And this is, they're always punctual, never even a minute late. They're always there. This is how it is. And you know, if you have an agreement with them, you can trust them. Well, now you're meeting them for lunch. And they say, let's just meet 1145. We'll beat the crowd. And you are there, you're thinking, I might as well be five minutes before that because he or she's right there. And you show up and they're not there. And you wait a little bit and it becomes 10 till and then five till. And, and now you're worried. So you are calling, you know, that's atypical. If something has happened, they would have called you. Something would have happened where you would know that they could not make it or something. You follow me, Yes. And you call their cell phone and, and there's no answer. You text and there's no answer coming back. You do everything you know. You try to call their job and, and you can't get a hold of anyone who knows anything. And so finally you walk up to that waiter or that stand and said, if someone comes in and they ask for me, you give the name of the person and, and your own name. Ask them to call me immediately. And you go out and you go to the place where they work. Maybe try to buy your home because you know since they were not there, you, there must be something wrong. Now, you have another appointment. Lunch appointment. And you suggest, let's just meet to see it. You know, let's just do 11.45. And that person is someone, you know, they kind of fly by the seat of their pants. They, you know, they pay attention to what you say or they don't. It's just whatever and uh, you show up, of course, as you agreed, 11.45. They don't show up. You order food. You say, they'll, they'll be here whenever. And you kind of eat, and nobody shows, and you walk out. And you never think another thought. They'd probably confuse this Tuesday with another Tuesday. It never bothers you for a minute. Because you know that's just who they are. They just kind of fly by and say, whatever, and they don't pay good attention and all that. They're not like that. And, and you never for a second think that there's something wrong because they don't show up. Now, with Daniel, friends, there was no doubt about God's trustworthiness related to his promises. God was real to him. There was no confusion. You could trust his promises. Just look at the way he formulated his prayers. Verse 4, O Lord, the great and awesome God. Again, in verse 7, Lord, you are righteous. Again, verse 9. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. He knew his God. And it was that awareness of who God truly is that thrusted him into this intensive prayer. So can I ask you, of the two friends I talked about earlier, that you were to have lunch with. Who relates to your understanding of who God is? How do you think about God? 
It's the first one or the last one? It's a real question, friends. I should have just given you a long time to think about this. But let's see if we can take one more step and and now round it up after that. What continued to motivate Daniel for this intensive kind of prayer? Look at verse 19. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. For your own sake, O my God, do not delay. Daniel is concerned about goods, God's reputation. He's passionately jealous, if you will, about God's honor and God's God's reputation. God is known as the one that you can count on. What he says will happen. And, And then he's seeing around himself And he's concerned that people will conclude that the creator of heaven and earth cannot really truly make a difference in people's lives. So he's concerned about how people live and express that. And I guess the answer to the question will be moved to us and say, what God do people see when they think about the one you serve. I always wonder when I read verses like this, how are we to understand the kind of passion that is expressed for God's reputation? Is God dependent upon people and what they think about him? Absolutely not. Can people make God greater or smaller by their actions or speeches? Absolutely not. But that's not what really concerns Daniel here. God doesn't have to worry about what we think about it. The concern here is that people are going to conclude things about God that is not so. What, God, what Daniel appeals to is, is God's loving care for his fellow citizens and his fellow faith brothers and sisters. And that fills him with this motivation. What Daniel really cares about is is that God, I'm asking you for the sake of the people around us. What they think about you when they look at us, so to speak. Work on their hearts that they may see who you truly are. Are. Daniel's prayer sprang from a clear understanding of who God is. I have to ask you, friends, if that's the place from which your prayer springs as well. A.W. Tozer said that, that the greatest hindrance for God's power to unfold is that we have an insufficient image of who God truly is. 
You know, when people are just coming to know the Lord, prayers naturally, like in, with infants, are concentrated about themselves and, and, and that they would get some things and it's about them. But as they grow in faith and as they grow in understanding of God, it moves away from themselves also to others and it finally rests in being a God-centered prayer. They begin to pray for the things that are of concern for God's kingdom and for God's will to unfold in our midst. That, friends, is what concerned Daniel. The reality of who God truly is created an intensity in his prayer. And it can do the same in yours. Let me read from you to you from another grand personality, King David, when he was just a boy. 1 Samuel 17, and David said to the Philistine, that is to Goliath, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, so that all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Is that incredible? It's like we're gasping kind of for air. I wonder, is it truly possible to live in such an experience of God? I'm going to let you chew on that. Is it truly possible to live in such an experience of the Almighty? Bow your heads for a moment and spend a minute praying. If you want to talk further about this later on, find someone, one of us up here, Grab our arm or sleeve or come forward, pray up here. You want to talk about joining the church, whatever it is. You need to let the Lord know that your life will change. Do so right now. Can you find that spot where your prayer is inspired by his majesty and his faithfulness? I'm going to ask the Singing to wait just a minute while you pray and then it will begin. <laughs>